All right, take three. As you can see, we've moved from dungeon to dungeon. We're in another back room here at ETH Denver. Uh, I'm Ryan Selkis, aka 2BitIdiot on Twitter, and this is Masari Crypto's Unqualified Opinions. Uh, my third guest today is Lily Liu, who's the former CFO at Earn. Lily's bio is basically a mic drop of bios, right? You just look at your Twitter, it's KKR, it's McKinsey, it's Stanford, it's Harvard. Um, and those are like the unimpressive ones compared to what <laughs> she and Balaji were able to pull off with restructuring Earn.com, which is formerly known as 21. So um, I want to spend a bit of time talking about the Earn story because I find it fascinating. And Balaji Srinivasan, who's now the CTO at Coinbase, um, has spoken a bit about the restructuring. Uh, but Lily was the CFO. So in terms of actually getting a lot of this stuff done and doing the, the blocking and tackling, uh, particularly on the, on the debt side and some of the liabilities that they inherited, um, it's a hell of a war story. And I hope that in the bear market when a lot of teams are restructuring and distressed, it, it serves as a bit of inspiration that you can go from, uh, which you'll hear very soon, was a very, very dire situation to one where they, they were able to pull a rabbit out of a hat uh, and exit for nine figures to, to one of the top companies in the industry. So, um, Lily, without further ado, uh, so 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 great. I just gave you a hell of an introduction. Um, I haven't even said a word yet. And I, a, I, I think I think we're done, right? <laughs> just yeah. I, I dropped the mic before we even started. For this, so, um, but yeah. So so what are you up to these days? And, and yeah. kind of help help walk through the, the crypto story that you've. Yeah. You've well, these days, um, angel investor, kind of advising, advising companies both within crypto and also without um, or outside of crypto. Um, and so it's been great, right? Um, and uh, so that's what I've been up to for nearly the year since, uh, since we sold to Coinbase. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm glad that we can all sort of smile about it today uh, because during the last bear market, um, I mean, I can tell you in 2015, 2016, really even, you know, into 2017, um, there wasn't a lot to smile about, um, and uh, you know, essentially industry-wide, but especially with 21. Yeah, that's right, and it was a little bit um, more acute um, because uh, essentially what had happened was um, we inherited the situation where um, there was uh, 80 million of liabilities, um, and so that 80 million of liabilities was comprised of basically the four uh, major counterparties, and they all cared um, a lot, and they were all you know pretty powerful organizations. Um, and so one was um, a large venture debt lender in, uh, in the Bay Area, um, which does you know, lion's share of a lot of the venture debt deals. And typically, you know, they're lending to companies that have you know, fairly strong cash flows, uh, pretty significant revenues, and on top of that, some degree of collateral, because that's you know, who you lend to as a debt. Uh, as a debt lender. So um, maybe maybe we'll pause there because yeah. a lot of people are newer. Let's, let's talk about the, the original Earn, mm -hmm. which was not Earn, it was 21. Yeah, so that's 21. Bitcoin mining that's right. um, venture. Oh, right, okay. So 21 was um, one of the, uh, if not the sort of earliest and largest uh, US-based um, uh, full-stack Bitcoin mining uh, company. And so they had done an amazing job uh, in terms of coming out with um, a 28 nanometer chip, um, which was about nine months ahead of the Chinese in terms of performance. Uh, but you know, even though that's kind of like the brains of the operation, you still need sort of the corpus around that in order to actually get from really fantastic chip to actually be mining Bitcoin. Um, and so in the early days, when there weren't that many people who were doing it, um, then uh, then you know, if you had the chip and then you were kind of okay or decent at the rest, 
then you could mine a whole lot of Bitcoin. And so in the early days, from what I understand, I wasn't there at the time, um, but I understand you know, at some point they had um, you know, a very significant share of the network, mm -hmm. um, and they're doing great. Uh, but then what is, happened... Is, is it true, as I've heard an urban legend, that 21 was an unmarked building when it first got going? And the and the and the the well, so this is why uh -huh. it's an urban legend for not a reason. that I know of, but, but I also but, but what I had heard it is it had a very unique uh, title uh -huh. uh, on the door F Y G A. <laughs> is there truth to this? You're laughing, so I feel like there must be some truth to this. Can you tell us what F Y G A stood uh, for? Fuck you, go away. <laughs> so look, I was in around during that time. I did see that acronym um, once or twice, but. Um, so th that was in the early days when you know secrecy is paramount, um, mm -hmm. and that's before the Chinese really got into the game, right? And, and in the U.S., it was before a lot of investors felt comfortable making direct investments in Bitcoin. That's so right. this was a roundabout that's way right. to do it in venture yeah. with a pretty credible team. That's right. Where folks wanted to invest in a C corp, um, but they basically had to have that trusted layer of you know corporate stuff to invest in in order to get exposure. Because in those days, actually not not dissimilar to the number of things going on in crypto today. Uh, they couldn't just buy the coins directly, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and as a side note, I see that driving a number of the SPVs into some of the more popular projects these days, because yep. um, they want to get exposure, but they can't buy it directly. Um, I would say one of the lessons I learned, um, uh, you know, kind of watching this whole thing unfold and sort of and recover, um, was that buying the underlying is typically the best way to do it, right? Because mining is really hard. Because yeah. mining, you've got to, okay, so if you did, if you're brilliant and did a really great trip, then, okay, congratulations, now you've got to put that into um, a mining box, right? Uh, which is not insignificant. You've mm -hmm. got to produce a ton of those, and then you've got to find, and then you've got to go build the data center, you've got to go engineer the data center, um, and then you've got to go sort of negotiate with utilities, and then there's just so many things you have to do, right? And you've got to go, uh, you've got to go source a bunch of like, power supply cabinets, just, there's like really an unending amount of operations, and that's just to get going, and then you're, you're essentially running a data center, right? So there's like a significant layer of operations over and above doing a really brilliant trip, um, and that was, uh, that was one of the challenges that, um, you know, early on, most people went after this like a very significant CapEx play, right? So that's why, uh, you know, it's not just 21, but there was like, there's a long list, kind of like the, the graveyard list mm -hmm. um, of folks in the US, like there was what, so like Hashfast, Quintera, yes. um, there was, I, I can't even Basically remember all the US things. ones went That's up. right, all of the US ones, KNC Miner was uh, based out of, I think, Sweden or something like mm -hmm. that, that eventually folded. So it was really everyone but Bitfury, uh, basically just had to sort of concede to the Chinese because mm -hmm. um, mining is all about CapEx and execution. Right? People sort of overemphasize the importance of the chip, which is of course important, uh, but when you think about just the economics of this, because there's nothing which is more purely economic than mining economics, right? then it's really just about how cheaply can you produce your capex and how quickly can you do it and can you get stuff into the ecosystem exactly when you need it. Right? So it's really just about capex, supply chain, and having armies of people who are there once you press the button. Mm -hmm. um, and so no surprise, who does that better than in China, right? So what was happening in China at the same time was, I mean, you have this massive supply chain, right, which is typically dedicated towards making phones and, you know, phones and computers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, you know, not too much of a shift to put that into making disposable hardware, i.e. Bitcoin miners. Um, and so they just killed everyone at CapEx, right? The, their kind of cogs for a machine was um, probably about one-tenth of what some of the Americans were doing it for. Wow. 
crazy, right? It's un it's totally unrecoverable when it comes to power costs. Yeah, and what what I found to be interesting is, you know, even today, um, I you know hear a number of people sort of um, uh, talk about how China has cheap power, which is just untrue, right? So people in the West somehow think that China won mining because they have this unlimited bounty of hydropower or, you know, sort of siphoning off some coal from, you know, like these, the coal, you know, kind of falling off uh, a coal mine or something like that, which is just untrue. Mm -hmm. Because if you, if, you, if you even just think about this from a macro perspective, China is a relatively land-constrained and resource-constrained country of 1.3 billion people. Mm -hmm. How could they have almost unlimited amounts of excess energy around the clock? It's just, uh, of course not, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so in China, the average power cost is about five and a half or six cents, which is actually double what you get in the U.S. Um, in some of the more competitive situations, um, but they just killed the game because of CapEx, not just on the boxes, but then also when they were building data centers, they could find fairly inexpensive land to build a data center. There aren't a lot of code requirements um, mm -hmm. if you're you know, working in certain parts of China. And then cooling, instead of engineering it, cooling in many cases is just opening the windows, right? It doesn't yeah. get any cheaper than that. Um, and so that was essentially what put pressure on a lot of the uh, Bitcoin miners from you know, 2013, 2014 into 15 and 16. Um, and the situation that 21 had found itself in was it basically um, done really well when the, when, the price, when the price of Bitcoin was doing well. Um, and and then, when the competition was very early stage. Exactly, mm -hmm. right? And then they basically got squeezed in terms of you know, the revenue side because the price crashed. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then you know, they just had too many competitors um, who were taking away the market. Uh, and then there were some other things, um, you know, just operationally, uh, that were just really hard to do. So, uh, so that's essentially what happened. Um, but in that meantime, they'd taken on a very large venture debt, uh, venture debt loan, collateralized by all of the metal, all of the machines, all of the data centers and everything that had been built out. Um, but as we know now, that stuff depreciates in months, right? Six months. Well, and that's why I like how the first way that you described it was metal. Right. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it's it basically scrap metal as the difficulty spiked in, in some of these other ASIC mining That's right. warehouses came online. That's right. And so what is and, and to put that in context, 21 had raised about $120 million. Um, it had capitalized, so, so over 100. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, a, little, a little over 100. Yeah. And so um, a lot of that was used for CapEx to build yes. out this infrastructure. Um, mining chip partnerships, uh, you know, the, the folks that had, had underwritten this 80 million of uh, venture debt um, were, were large entities, right? So you mentioned the one, the venture debt yeah. um, uh, provider. Who were some of the others? Um, the others were data centers mm -hmm. um, that in aggregate had $50 million um, worth of long-term commitments. So that wasn't debt, so to speak, but it was um, a, you know, a hard contract that there was going to be fixed cost commitments of, you know, X dollars every month for, in some cases, three years, in other cases, five years. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that was also pretty problematic uh, because, you know, as the hash rate was going like this and then the price is going like this, mm -hmm. it's really hard to make those economics work. Were, were you guys functionally bankrupt then? Had you already spent, so were you, did you have, I assume you had less than 80 million in cash. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we, uh, we wrote about this as well. There's 30 million in cash, 80 million, million in long-term mm -hmm. liabilities. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, it was spaced out over five years, so it wasn't, you know, an immediate wall. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we had about, uh, you know, six to nine months of runway, um, depending on the price of Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and uh, essentially because the product was Bitcoin mining and it wasn't working all that well, 
Um, it was negative 50 with no work in product. Um, and uh, so we had to figure out product. Um, we had to figure out how to kind of, you know, write uh, sort of bailouts to bail out the water um, in, uh, in the ship. And that was what we spent kind of like the first year and a half doing. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that. Um, and, you know, in, our, in retrospect... And so, and so how did you approach those conversations? I mean, at, at a certain point, you know, people want to get their money back, right? Yeah. Um, and the ones that have put hard dollars in, it's one thing. Long-term yeah. leases seem like they might be a little bit easier to negotiate. How, so where did you even start, right? Because yeah. you come in in 2015. Yep. And did you come in specifically to, to help fix this mess? Um, yeah, that was part of my job. Um, the the it, Winston Wolf of crypto, it, basically. Don't ask, me, don't ask me exactly why I agreed to do that, because I don't have a very good answer for it, even today. Because uh, it doesn't seem like a very rational thing to do, right? Yeah, the risk-reward seems skewed. Exactly. It's not really my problem, and then you make it your uh, yeah. So that's, that's something else I need to reflect upon. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, the people in venture typically don't deal with distress situations. Um, but, uh, but I mean, a lot of people um, in other parts of the economy deal with this in sort of later stage companies, right? Um, and so uh, it's actually a skill set that um, exists very much and it's a very sophisticated um, industry. Uh, and, you know, that's why you have sort of the capital stack and you have debt lenders and you have vendors and you have equity holders. And then there's actually kind of like a way you typically do that workout, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's more or less kind of like a playbook for how you do something like that. But then it always comes down to you know, the vagaries, the specificities, the people involved, um, and, uh, and then, you know, sort of the motivations of, uh, the specific motivations of everyone uh, who's kind of at the table, right? Uh, but you know, in broad strokes, essentially, um, there's you know a well um, there's a well uh, established kind of hierarchy when it comes to corporate governance and when it mm -hmm. comes to sort of liens on a company's assets. This is actually something about governance and kind of common rules of the game, which I appreciate about the non-crypto world. It's just mm -hmm. very sort of it's time worn um, and uh, with many many precedents. And so essentially, um, a debt lender is senior to everyone else, right? And there's different variations in that. Um, but then, you know, that basically is the starting negotiation position for everyone else, right? Um, and so, uh, and so you, that's, you know, typically how you do a workout. Yeah. So, um, for, for some of the facilities, the, uh, um, these long-term leases, wh where did that fit? So, so which ones did you tackle first? And imagine it would probably be the data centers, right? Because you're saying, we don't yeah. need this shit. So free up yeah. that inventory. Let's settle with you. Yeah. So the data centers, um, they are junior to uh, to the debt holder, okay. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, typically the way these workouts work out mm -hmm. um, is that the debt holder says, you know, there's X amount of assets and I'm owed Y, right? Mm -hmm. Do some math and either there's either something left over or not mm -hmm. for you guys. Um, and so, the starting position is, you know, that leftover would you, would give you, you know, Z cents on the dollar, right? So the venture so, debt uh, holder had yeah. how much of that? Eighty million. Thirty. 30, which 30. is basically your cash position position um, at the time. Correct. So um, and so you know uh, that's you know that's typically how these how these things work out. Um, and uh, um, and so then it's you know a series of conversations. Um, and uh, yeah. how, how long did that take cover to cover? Because you mentioned six to nine months of runway. You've got yeah. to come up with a new business model in the meantime. Yeah. You've got all these other junior debt holders underneath that venture debt provider. Um, I assume the first meeting is just open kimono, right? It's like here's, or, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, how 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 did you guys position this? Um, well, uh, so initially we had to um, 
you had to cut the burn, right? Mm -hmm. So do what you could to cut the burn and also sort of uh, try to work on getting a new product to, product to market. Um, and then, uh, and then also, you know, there's two ways you cut the burn. You either, you know, cut your costs, which is kind of hard to do because a lot of those things are contracted. And the other is you try to sort of maximize how much you're mining by improving your operations, right? Mm -hmm. um, making sure that your downtime is minimized, all sorts of things, right? Um, and trying to, you know, understand if certain machines are not working for some period of time. Why is that? Try to diagnose that and try to get them back on. You were still line. making some gross margin on. on uh, we were still mining, absolutely. Okay, yeah, so, we so it wasn't margin negative, it was just, um, it was uh, it, razor there were, thin. There were still, there was still, um, it was, so positive uh, contribution, mm -hmm. meaning that, um, because once you get to the point where the cost of mining the incremental Bitcoin is mm -hmm. less than everything, then you would just shut it down, yeah. right? Um, but it was not enough to cover all the fixed costs. And the yeah. fixed costs, uh, basically monthly payments were pretty sure. significant, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, we had, um, See 26 megawatts total of mining capacity. But all that capex yeah. is sunk. So it's all sunk. you know, so, right. so you guys continue to mine, um, and and so the the first step was was right size in the team, I guess, since that's going to be a, a large chunk of your overhead. Um, yeah, although that's that really uh, was insignificant compared to it's really okay. just um, all of the contractual payments, yeah. right? And so uh, unless you solve that, there's really nothing you can do in mm -hmm. order to sort of um, keep this moving forward. Um, so that's uh, that's really what we worked on, um, and uh, and you know this is a skill set that for you know good reason it's on the the opposite side of kind of the corporate life cycle, mm -hmm. um, but uh, people do it all the time, right? And that's you know one of the things that people at KKR do all the time, yeah. um, which is uh, which is you know deal with these complex structures and you know try to uh, try to find a path forward and deal with distressed assets. So, do you um, do you think that? You know, having gone through this process and now we're, we're kind of in the next leg of the, the bear market, I, I'd imagine that the economics have had similar disruption, right? Yeah. Because the difficulty of spikes, so even though the price is, yeah. you know, in one order of magnitude, one and a half orders of magnitude uh, north of where it was in 2015, mm -hmm. um, the difficulty is basically your, your, your minor economics have, have, have basically yeah. gotten pretty close to, to what it was like back then. Yeah. Um, is the infrastructure in the industry in terms of hedging and, and, and derivatives, has it advanced to the point where this is um, there's less of a blow up risk for professional mining operations, whether they're in China or Europe or or here, or or is it still yeah. very much you got to play fast and loose and not be wrong with how you're managing capital? Well, um, so the three cardinal rules that I think about for mining um, is number one, far and away number one is no capex. On mm -hmm. uh, number two is no commitment, and number three is no forex. Okay. Um, and if you are, if you've got all three of those things, so where you're talking about with derivatives and hedging, mm -hmm. that to me is a distant third. It's helpful, but if you don't get the first two right, um, it's almost impossible that you're going to be able to weather. So, so let's let's look at Bitmain yeah. and Bitfury using right. using that rubric, right? right? So, so how would you say you know they're handling capex and right? And, and, and uh, well, uh, Bitmain, from what I understand, um, early on, they uh, they pre-sold their machines, right? Mm -hmm. So they actually raised very little equity capital, um, and they are, you know, they certainly do some bull sack mining in various places, but they actually, the majority of their business, um, I believe about 90% of their business is selling mm -hmm. hardware to other people, right? Yeah. So getting other people to invest in CapEx. 
Um, and so that has obviously been very scalable model for them. Um, now, Similar with Bitfury. Well, Bitfury, um, from what I understand, their core business is not exactly selling the machines. I could be wrong. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know enough about their operation. Um, but uh, from what I understand, they've also just been really, really good at executing on um, sustainable mining operations and mm -hmm. the right cost profile, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, you know, if you are investing a lot in CapEx, making a long-term commitment, to me that starts to get in the arena of, uh, it's kind of like this sort of uh, long-term, uh, it's kind of like high-stakes gambling to me, because yeah. you're essentially just gambling on the price of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and what I think is eventually going to happen as, um, as uh, proof-of-work mining matures um, and becomes something a little bit more mainstream, um, it eventually is going to flow to uh, folks with the cheapest latent um, computing power, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I already, you know, have been hearing all these different conversations of folks who, let's say, have an old power plant in, I don't know, northwestern Texas, yeah. right? Uh, the power density is there, so you essentially don't need any new capex. They don't know what to do with it, anyways, because for mm -hmm. them to do anything, sort of even the most minimal industrial process, would require a lot of reinvestment. And so, the best thing they can do with that is Bitcoin mining, right? Mm -hmm. um, Sensibly, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so, you know, depending on what you believe at the price, um, but uh, they have power at two to three cents. Um, and so, long term, I think those are the folks out there. Basically, this latent industrial resource, um, which is otherwise um, just dormant, right? Mm -hmm. um, those are the guys who are going to be uh, owning Bitcoin mining. Um, so, as we think about the giants in Bitcoin mining today, yeah, um, you can. It's basically the equipment manufacturers, right? Yep. And then um, the hardcore speculators are the ones that are actually running the warehouses and, and investing all the capex and, yep. and and basically trying to make a levered bet on the price of Bitcoin or whatever yep. else they're mining. Um, the way that I've always thought about that, and it was it was tough as as, as we were investing at Digital Currency Group to uh, to actually pull the trigger on any of these for that reason, because um, why wouldn't you just buy the underlying? Yeah. Um, and I guess the the sustainable operations have kind of. Uh, to use the oil comparison, the um, the equipment manufacturers are the ones you want to invest in versus the master limited partnerships that are doing all the drilling and then mm -hmm. you know that there's like a finite life cycle and and they're ultimately going to exhaust the resources and yep. they have to start over. Yep. Right. Yep. So you know the, because of the equipment uh, the equipment manufacturers they're putting essentially dollars or RMB or fiat to work, which is still the dominant kind of rails for our economy. Um, they are putting that to work and they're getting fiat in return, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, they may take some of their machines to go mine on the side, but that is not the majority of their revenue. Um, and so their business model is, um, it's not terribly unique. They create some, you know, electronic hardware and they sell it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that's obviously done very well. Um, and I mean, hats off to them because they've been able to just win every generation, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's really, really hard to do, right? Yes. To be able to execute for years, right? Yeah. And consistently sort of have some combination of fastest to market, best chip, most availability, um, amazing. So uh, I think we've talked about mining, super fascinating because there's few people in the industry that are actually as knowledgeable uh, about, <laughs> about mining as, as you are having been through the thick of things. Um, that is only half the earned story, right? So we talked a lot about 21, um, let's talk about earn. So yeah. you come into 21 and 2015, you're, you're running the restructuring, you're trying to figure out what the ongoing business model will be. Remind me, when did you release earn? So it was originally it was the 21 inbox that okay. came out January right. 17th of 2017. 
Yep. Um, and so, you know, throughout 16, 15 and 16, really the focus was restructuring. Um, and then during the during that time on the product side, um, we were thinking a lot about micropayments. Yep. Um, micropayments and uh, that being like a very sort of unique uh, capability of cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. um, both in terms of human to machine, or machine to human, and then a human to human, and then so these you know you can do your little two by two of that, right? Um, and so we were thinking about different applications for that, um, and uh, and thinking about how how can you make this relevant today, right? And you know at the time 2016 2017 it wasn't so much blockchain it was really just Bitcoin during yes. that time. Bitcoin dominance I think when started in 2017 at, up to 90. right it was mm -hmm. I think it was over 90 percent in the beginning mm -hmm. of 2017 or something, right? So it was still really a Bitcoin world. Um, and, uh, and then thinking was, okay, so what is it unique? What is unique about cryptocurrency, this ability to do uh, micropayments that sort of enables entirely new applications, right? Um, and so, uh, so we sort of thought about um, different things. We landed on this idea of initially paid email, mm -hmm. um, which uh, many sort of close readers of, uh, of Satoshi's work and then also uh, other work for sort of the, the early pioneers in this area will realize that uh, it's been kind of an idea that's been talked around uh, for a little bit, sort of basically um, taxing spam, right, or paid email. Um, and so, so we you know, sort of uh, had some iterations on that idea um, and eventually sort of you know, rolled out this kind of paid email product um, in the beginning of 2017, essentially paid inbox. And so the, the, the most immediate corollary, which I think just a lot of people understood intuitively was, okay, it's like your LinkedIn email box, but it pays you, right? Mm -hmm. So you get all this cold email from people you may or may not want to talk to. I, bought, I bought it, yeah. Right? Yeah, so. um, and, uh, and I tested it out early. Right? So you get paid. Made a little bit. So. <laughs> so, you Which know, became a lot during the run-up, so it, it was It became nice. a lot. So at one point, um, you know, Mark Andreessen, I believe, um, had uh, answered a number of questions and donated about 80,000 to charity, right? Mm -hmm. um, off of uh, answering some emails in his spare time, yeah. right? And so, in a sense, it's actually not too different from mining, where you mm -hmm. basically have this latent resource, and now uh, cryptocurrency allows you to monetize it. Um, and so, in the case of proof-of-work mining, that's some um, you know, industrial hardware um, or machinery sitting somewhere um, waiting to be redeployed. In the case of everyone, really, um, no matter who you are, how important you are, you've always got three minutes of the day, right? Mm -hmm. you, are, you are either standing in line for coffee, sitting yep. in the back of a car, um, sitting in the back of an Uber, just trying to relax, whatever it might be, um, and there's probably some price for which you could be persuaded to deploy a few minutes of your time, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so email is the most common form of microwork, therefore, uh, and we kind of came up with this idea that microwork doesn't have to be low-skilled work, I think we proved that out, um, and, uh, and it turned out to actually be a pretty interesting business. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, uh, that was the genesis of this. So you, yeah. you did turn it into an interesting concept and then yeah. you scaled it a little bit as a business. It was still relatively small. Yeah, though. it was. How, how did you guys go about turning, uh, so you, you get this turnaround in, in place. How did you go about parlaying the um, 21 inbox to earn and then ultimately yeah. turning that into such a valuable commodity for Coinbase? Um, so, because the, the yeah. cynics version of that was Andreessen has a big stake in both, and so it's just self-dealing, and, and it's an inflated price tag. You know, you've heard all this shit, just same as I have, and as everybody else. Um, and, and I've even made light of it, saying that Balaji was actually just a hundred million dollar man, right? So, um, where we both know that that's not exactly a, a fair representation of, of the entire earned team and property, but. The truth is probably somewhere in between, right? So, so how uh, how are you able to parlay that into such a 
a good financial outcome for the investors that had been through kind of a dark mm -hmm. period um, and, uh, and get this to be a, a core cog of, of what Coinbase wanted to do going forward. Was it just yeah. pitch and vision and, and how synchronous it was with uh, kind of the direction that Coinbase felt like they needed to move? Or, mm -hmm. or um, Well, I mean, Coinbase, they talked a lot it's about... it's a hell of a pitch. Whatever you guys did, it was a hell of a pitch. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Coinbase, um, I really, I've always really um, appreciated their vision of this sort of being like the op an open financial system, right? Mm -hmm. An open financial system is not just having bank accounts, and it's not just um, it's not just having bank accounts providing some financial infrastructure, right? But it's creating the reason that people actually want to sort of uh, be a part of, uh, you know, a digital economy, which is beyond just buying coffee with right? Mm -hmm. uh, buying coffee with crypto. So... Um, it's all about sort of substantiating um, new value, uh, a new value proposition for why you actually want to partake in this sort of new digital economy. Otherwise, um, you're really just sort of a bank for a very, very niche part of the financial system filled with people who don't actually want to bank, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so if that's the larger vision that we collectively have, right? And you've been in this for a while now, as have I, and so there must be something that keeps us coming back. Um, and thinking about entirely new ways that um, uh, that you know this could reach either uh, new uh, new folks on the internet um, or sort of bring new parts of the economy online, um, then you know I think it really has to do with um, uh, monetizing these sort of digital resources that everyone has, but is not monetizing today. Mm -hmm. Typically, when people talk about these digitally native assets, they talk about you know in-game tokens or some form of blockchain and gaming. Which to me is, it's like one step better than PDFing the newspaper and saying like, you know, now <laughs> the internet is going to make uh, information accessible to everyone. Because yeah. I've now, okay, so step one was, all right, we're going to do decentralized Uber and it's going to be 25% cheaper. That to me is like PDFing the newspaper, right? Mm -hmm. It's true, it's better than getting a soggy newspaper on your, on your doorstep, but that's just not good enough, right? 25% mm -hmm. of a discount is what gets me going from Best Buy to Target, right? Um, and okay, so then step two is, all right, well, it must be about these digitally native items, um, digitally native items, so, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of a narrative around this right now, and so NFTs last year, CryptoKitties got a lot of people, sort of piqued people's interest in it, um, and now uh, there's a number of efforts on this, on this front. Um, that to me is a little bit better, but it's a little bit like going from the newspaper PDF on the internet to, you know, like, nytimes.com. Right? It is digitally native, right? But it's essentially just an evolution of the way that people consume news anyways, right? Yes, there's hyperlinks and yes, there's like more interactive capabilities. It's better, but it's not social news. It's mm -hmm. not sort of this widening of the ability to sort of create and consume content really anytime, anywhere, by anyone. Um, and that's what's really transformative. Um, and so I think uh, that's, you know, when I think about markets uh, for digital resources, um, I think something similar with, with crypto, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think if we're just thinking about sort of a blockchain equivalent to even something that already exists in you know, the wide world of gaming, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of interesting, there's probably something there, um, but that's not gonna be the home run, right? And that's not gonna be sort of like the aha moment that sort of, that really brings the next 100 million people um, into blockchain. Um, for that to happen, I think it has to be about, about income generation. Mm -hmm. um, and for that to sort of have broad appeal, it, that income generation has to do with some resource which is already broadly distributed amongst hundreds, if not billions of people, hundreds of billions, if not billions of people. Um, and so the most obvious one of those is time. Um, and, you know, free time. 
Uh, and then, you know, some other kind of uh, versions of that I've been thinking about is, for example, risk. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure there's others, but that's, uh, that's kind of the direction that... Creating a, a global attention economy, a global risk pool, a, a, you know, right. a global new financial right. store. Right. Um, all make a heck of yeah. a lot of sense. So just going back to the, mm -hmm. the, the root question, did Coinbase approach you guys, or did you pursue a sale at that point? Um, uh, we, we probably shouldn't talk in too much detail. I can, I yeah. can maybe read between the lines. Yeah. I won't put you on the spot. So. Um, but um, fascinating story, mm -hmm. huge success. Um, I just said that in the Borat voice un <laughs> un unintentionally. Great success. Um, but um, what advice would you have for folks that are, are really kind of up against the wall right now, mm -hmm. given the renewed downturn and, and might have overexposed themselves either on the token side or the hiring or whatnot? How do they get out of their own self-inflicted or, or market-driven mess, depending on your perspective? Um, well, uh, um, look like uh, these things at the end of the day are pretty simple, straightforward math, right? Um, you've got however much runway, um, and, uh, and I don't know what sort of treasury management people are doing right now, but I would think very intensely about um, how much crypto you're holding. Um, and uh, and what might happen to that, both the upside and the downside, because I've, I've just seen too many models uh, where people only ever project um, Bitcoin upside. Yeah. <laughs> Especially oh, yeah. their mining models, which I find to be really entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see enough that sort of project a, um, a consistent downside. And if they do a downside case, it's like, you know, in the single digits or something. <laughs> um, and uh, it does not typically project a, you know, for example, 100% retracement of yeah. uh, Bitcoin from the $20,000 high. So, uh, so that would be one. Um, I think that uh, um, really sort of uh, setting up your company now so that you have at least 24 months of runway, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's either on the sort of the balance sheet shot, that's a combination of the balance sheet uh, side as well as kind of the folks that you have. Um, and uh, just really focus on getting a great product out there, um, shipping and thinking, uh, and this is something that, that I, I feel like I wish I saw more of, but thinking about products that 100 million people could actually want, right? Yes. And 100 million people um, who are perfectly happy in, more or less happy with the way their life already works, right? So I think that a in lot a, of the- In a B2C sense. In the B2C sense, um, if, that's, if that's your target market, right? Uh, but then, you know, what I see is oftentimes some pretty interesting, like some, some interesting ideas, but then it's not clear, you know, it's, uh, do people actually want that? Mm -hmm. Do, I, if you're selling to companies, do companies even want that? Um, and if you're selling to consumers, why would they actually want to do that? I hear, I hear a number of narratives around, oh, well, you know, um, you know, decentralized finance, um, now consumers can go do X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think most people out there um, are not really traders and don't necessarily want that product, right? Um, and, uh, and most people, also let's face it, are pretty happy with their banking relationships. It works, right? Um, and so, so, you know, if we're building applications, um, you know, think about uh, who you're actually selling to, right? Um, and uh, and who you know beyond the world of uh, of us who know and love crypto might actually be interested in that and why, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the simplest way to actually go explain that? Um, it's something I wish I saw a little bit more of. Uh, this has been a fascinating discussion. I have one more question, so we got to do this again. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe next time we'll talk more on the investing side sure. uh, after uh, you have some more uh, stories to, to tell and um, <laughs> maybe a couple portfolio companies to show, which will allow. Um, but um, uh, 
we're in a very narrative-driven market right now. Yep. I'm sorry, we're obviously focused on fundamentals and trying to aggregate a bunch of this information. Um, what are the long-term KPIs that you look at, and and what do you think is the most sustainable meme on the other side uh, right now that that uh, you can pin to any one crypto asset? Uh, the most sustainable meme. Yeah. So which which uh -huh. which culture has the most sustainable oh, meme that kind of drives that narrative forward and. Right. and in a market that probably isn't going to be 100% fundamentals oriented for a long time yep. and is going to need to continue to rely on this? Um, well, uh, uh, the term that um, I like is uh, the meme that I am um, actually trying to get more people to, uh, to like and understand is Bitcoin rationalism. Bitcoin rationalism, yes, okay. Yes, Bitcoin rationalism, which uh, in short is basically uh, kind of like the secular version of Bitcoin maximalism. <laughs> Um, and uh, I like that, right? And so you know, shares a lot of sort of um, as opposed to, as opposed to the religious cult. Um, that's right. And okay. so you know, there's uh, which I think has a potentially broader broader tent, but it's essentially why Bitcoin um, is pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. Because it has it is the only thing um, I can see in this ecosystem right now that has um, a chance at uh, fundamental value. Um, and that fundamental value, if and when um, it becomes sort of more stable, um, is based on very simple the store value thesis, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it's not a panacea. It's not going to replace you know what we use to buy our coffee. Although apparently we're using our dye to buy burritos outside right now. Um, and so uh, so that is um, that's my perspective on a lot of this, right? Um, why, why do I call it rationalism? Just because it's, you know, very rationally sort of, uh, it's about really just rationally and very realistically seeing Bitcoin at its value um, as being sort of, as filling that singular niche for which there's really just room for one, you know, sort of one gold and then mm -hmm. yes, there's other stores of value, but then that's like a, a cliff number two, that's like silver and copper and sapphire rubies and yep. whatever else, right? Which have value, but it's just not the same. So. Well, that seems like as good a place as any to wrap it up, given that we're talking from ETH Denver, um, the meme to keep an eye on uh, in, spite, in spite of our locale is Bitcoin rationalism. That is true. Uh, so thank you guys for, uh, for joining us. We're going to be back in just a couple minutes with Amin Soleimani. But Lily, always a pleasure. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much.